it's my passion to help people get into fitness and start their journey. Um, and a lot of like showing them their potential is, you know, building that confidence that they can do it. So I think that's always step number one is, is building the internal confidence and the, the mindset that you can do this and you, then you can do greater things and you can keep just progressing, um, higher and higher, but it definitely starts with like being confident in themselves, um, that they can achieve more than they think. You're listening to the Born Primitive Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Born Primitive Podcast. Good morning, Tone. Morning, Bear. Today, we are really excited uh, to have Katie Knight on the podcast. Uh, Katie is a total badass, um, is an ultra marathoner, hybrid athlete coach, model, and won her first title at the World's Toughest Mudder back in 2021. Uh, she's competed and earned all kinds of titles in strength and endurance sports, including the Go Ruck Games, the Spartan Ultra World Championships, High Rocks events, and swimming competitions. Um, and today, we just want to get into a little bit of her journey, um, kind of as a competitive strength and endurance athlete. I think there's a lot we can extract from this. And prior to all this, um, Katie was a four-sport athlete in high school and also a Division One hockey player. So comes with a, quite a background in, in human performance um, and just overall a, a total badass. So Katie Knight, welcome to the Born Primitive Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, you know, as we kind of introed, uh, quite the background. So I guess from the beginning, um, you know, four-sport athlete, um, what led you down the path of kind of being a competitive athlete um, that, it, you know, it, it kind of pursuing so many different um, disciplines? Yeah, so growing up, it was all about athletics. So I'm one of six kids. We all played sports. Uh, my parents coached me. Uh, my mom coached me in basketball. My dad coached me in hockey all throughout, you know, childhood and up until college, essentially. So um, I was always pretty dedicated to fitness and sports. Uh, my mom and her aunt there and my aunt had um, a fitness company. So they did they taught like musical aerobics way back in the day, in like the 80s and 90s. So um, I would say fitness has always been um, very important in my family. Nice. And, and, and after college, um, you know, you're a division one athlete playing hockey. What, mm -hmm. when did you kind of get that itch to kind of pivot and go after these crazy endurance, uh, sports? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, right after college, I got into like CrossFit. My mom got us all into CrossFit. So I did that for a couple of years competitively. And then, um, some buddies of mine at the gym were doing the rim to rim to rim in the grand Canyon, which is 50 miles over 10,000 feet of gain. And I was like, I want to do that. I, I don't think I've ever run more than a half marathon at that point. And so that was like kind of something I wanted to get into. I know I had like an endurance background a little bit and I was capable of doing so. So kind of got into ultra marathons, started running trail ultras. And then um, some of my friends did Spartan races um, at a pretty high level. And so my first Spartan race was in Tahoe in 2021, a month before, um, two months before I won world's toughest. So I went and did that and then that qualified me for Spartan Ultra World Champs, which is a 24 hours um, obstacle course race. Um, and that was in the mountains of Telluride. And so I did that, I took second on course. And then a month later I did World Stuff as Mudder. So it was kind of just like, I was all in. Um, and that was my story. So let me get this straight, kind of on a whim, you were like, yeah, let's go do that 50 mile Canyon run with some friends. It sounds like a good time. And that's what got yep, you hooked much. in it. Did you have like a, an endurance background to run that race? I mean, 
like just to hit a casual 50 mile with 10,000 elevation change, like how did, <laughs> were you just from your years of training, you know, as a, as a, as an athlete, or were you able to just get it done or did you have to train for that? Um, I had heard they were doing it probably a couple months before. So I put in some, some volume, not, not a whole ton, obviously in two months, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was just something that I wanted to try and I wanted to do. Um, and I loved it. I loved being outdoors. I loved trail running, um, which is what I do essentially every day here in Boulder. So yeah, it kind of just like sparked my interest. And from there I was like, yeah, this is cool. I want to do it. Did that, did that click quick for you as far as that volume of running? I mean, that's a different animal, even as, as former athletes ourselves. it's one thing even to do a half marathon, but as you start to get above that, I feel like even the systems you're using in your body are very different. Was that something you were able to kind of step into really quick or did it take, I mean, you're, you're really good at it now. Was that something that took a while to really get comfortable or did it kind of happen naturally? Um, I would say like building up the, the muscle strength because obviously you use different muscles and it's a lot of fatigue on the body. Um, that took a lot of training and building up for it after that first initial one. Um, and then I put in more time on my feet, um, which makes a huge difference. But uh, yeah, mentally, I knew that I would like, that's something I could kind of just jump into and kind of rip my way through as I've done with most races that I've you know never had experience with. Um, I've done swim run world championships, which is, um, this one's crazy. It's 40 miles of running total and over six and a half miles of open water swimming. Um, you're swimming in between islands and then getting out and running those islands, um, off the coast of Sweden. So like, that's something I had never done before. Um, but with a little bit of training and just like the right mindset, I think that really anything's possible. And did you have any in those early stages that, that, I guess broke, you might be a bit of an exaggeration, but that you realize, oh shit, this is like another tier of training in order to get ready for it. Are there any, any in your early history when you started kind of getting into these that you can re recall that, that yeah, broke you a little bit? Yeah. I mean the, the 24 hour races, that's, that's a whole different ball game. Um, those are, those are pretty tough, tough to conquer. Um, the one that was in Telluride, it was like middle of the night and I was, you essentially start at 9,000 feet and you climb to 11 each lap. So there's six mile loops, 20 obstacles a lap. Um, and I was climbing the mountain on one, one of the laps I was on. And I was like, wow, this is tough. Like, this is going to take some, some extra mental grit to get to the top of this mountain on this lap. So there's always things like that, that come up in races. Um, but yeah, as long as like, you're, you're getting some training in. And then obviously today more so like I, I have like a dedicated coach and like things like that, that helped me get to where I need to be. But like in the beginning, it was kind of just like, let's do this thing. And when you won, uh, the tough mutter, like world championship in 2021, how long had you been like competitive in that space? Um, let's see since July. And that was November. So my first Spartan race, like, I mean, I'd been like running and training and mountain biking and, you know, doing CrossFit. So I've been building up, you know, endurance for the last like two years, like really dedicated, but my first actual race and then being competitive in that space was a couple months prior. Okay. And you think when that happened, did you have the realization that, okay, I've kind of found a little bit of my niche? Um, because yeah, it sounds like, so. it sounds like you definitely doubled down on it. And I guess as after that point, did you have a more serious training curriculum that was specific to that craft? Um, and walk us through that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing maybe you went out and 
got a coach and nutritionist and stuff like that. Um, or maybe you had the background to just figure it out yourself, but walk us through kind of winning it in 2021, realizing, okay, this is my new gig now. Uh, and then leveling up to, you know, getting even more, uh, crazy event wins and all these wild, uh, <laughs> challenges you were doing. Yeah. Um, definitely. So I, I, it definitely felt like I was, you know, this is something that I really love doing and I'm decently good at it. So let's, let's go from here. Um, I, was essentially my own coach. I had some strength coaches here and there um, after winning World's Toughest. And then uh, recently, within the past like six months or so, I got like a running coach kind of just to level up my game um, for an upcoming race in February. But yeah, like I definitely like doubled down, like you said, um, and really started training mentally and physically for these big challenges. And honing in on the, on the mental side, because I, I think there's so much you can extract from the the kind of the mental journey of kind of ultra endurance events like this. It's particularly, you know, the one you talked about, it's the middle of the night. Um, no one's watching you probably, right. It's there's, that takes a lot of willpower. Um, mm -hmm. and those, that's when those probably voices in your head start creeping in and telling you, Hey, why are you doing this? And Hey, you can go a little slower. We can walk for a while, that sort of thing. So walk us through kind of your mental journey on, on becoming mentally stronger, and, and, you know, I don't know if there's anything you've done deliberately when you're not um, kind of in the arena uh, to help prepare you for those moments when that kind of inner voice comes out. And because I, I think there's this, I mean, that applies to life. You know, you don't have to be an ultra marathon or to, um, you know, use those lessons. But curious if, if you've uh, kind of figured any out any tactics that have worked well for you in those moments. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say when I first started the sport, um, so those first couple races, uh, a lot of the motivation, um, for my mental strength and capacity were probably not the most healthy. So they were, they were, they came from a place of like, whether it was anger or spite or, you know, <clears throat> things I was going through in life with relationships. Um, and those can be really, really impactful drives, uh, drivers to be mentally strong and tough. Um, and, I've done a lot of research on it. And usually those kinds like out of anger, um, those motivators last probably like five to seven years. And then they kind of dwindle or you just become like a miserable person. Um, and so over the past couple of years, I've really dedicated myself to find more healthy ones. So, you know, internal motivators to make me mentally tough, mentally strong. So like, am I doing these races for me and making myself proud? Um, that's sorry. That's Doug. Oh, you're hey, good. He's a good hey, another guest. This is a family program. Yeah, We're yeah. good with it. <laughs> Doug loves to make an appearance. On, yeah. uh, I, do. I love that. He's got a good face uh, for but it. But yeah, so that's been kind of a work in progress. Um, and then another thing that's kind of helped me along the way, like with mental toughness is, um, and I tell clients this all the time, um, I have them think about something they've gone through in life, um, whatever that has to do with, whether it's family jobs, finances, like anything, anything tough they've gone through. And then when they're in the middle of something like a 24 hour race or something, think about how they have overcome that. Right. So they're still standing today. They're still running. They're still walking. They're still trying to achieve goals. So like, if you're able to complete things that were tough in your past, like you can get through whatever you're doing now. So you kind of take that energy and you, you, you shove it into whatever you're trying to complete. Um, again, whether that's jobs, trying to get a certain job or, you know, complete a certain race or anything in life. Um, I always find that a really good thing to tell clients and then think myself as well. 
And Katie, how did you recognize, because it's interesting you say about kind of the difference between the, the two types of motivators. We just had Ben Zobrist on the podcast. He was a World Series MVP with the Chicago Cubs. And he literally mm-hmm. said almost the same exact words you did, is that okay. af- after winning World Series MVP, he had a huge burnout stage where he should have been on top of the world and recognized that actually he was kind of miserable inside. And, and part of that was that his motivators were almost running from something as opposed to, like you said, an internal willpower and like just moving mm-hmm. towards something because that's what you want to be doing. And we talked through how there is a shelf life in which you just kind of said in maybe different words is there's a shelf life to that type of motivation. It works as jet fuel for a while, but it will eventually burn you almost from the inside out. What did you, how did you recognize that? Was it, was it a breakdown in your body or was it something mentally where you realize, oh shit, this may not be sustainable the way I'm going about this? Right. Yeah. Those are all really good points. I think I noticed when I started changing things in my life that and things became more positive. So, you know, I got in a new relationship. I surrounded myself with, you know, a loving and supportive community. I got a coach that was just team Katie all the way. And so when, you know, my life started to shift into more positive, um, a more positive mindset that kind of took a lot of toll on my performance and how I was able to perform. So I wasn't running angry and mad and, you know, trying to win things to prove a point or prove to somebody that I could. Um, so that that's when I kind of noticed and I noticed I needed to make a shift and I needed to, you know, turn those motivators internal and find something else um, to motivate me to win, essentially. And and did that shift happen, Katie? Because now you're becoming, you're becoming a recognizable face. I'm sure you're social, just you in general, you're having a lot more opportunities than you probably had in years past. Did you make that shift before you kind of you, you started to expand into into this space into the general fitness space? And I asked because that is something I'd be interested in is like, were, were you able to stay grounded throughout that? And is that something you still battle with today is as more opportunity arises, of course, on paper, that looks great. But that relating back to that podcast, we just had to Ben, who was the World Series MVP was like, it, it ripped him in 700 different directions. And it took him a while to kind of reground himself and say, like, who am I and what the hell do I actually want to be doing? Did you kind of feel, did you feel those pulls as you've become more and more recognized and started to win some of these bigger events? Yeah, I would say after I, you know, my rookie year went really well. Um, you know, you listed all those wins and and things that I accomplished. And then after that, you know, it kind of builds the pressure of like, oh, wow, like I need to keep succeeding. I need to keep winning. Um, and then, you know, as like my motivator shifted at the same time, like my, I would say my 2023 season didn't go exactly how I wanted. Um, so it was kind of, it was definitely a hard transition um, and kind of broke me a little bit to think about what I want to do and how, what races I want to do and how I want to accomplish those. And so it, it has been a journey, um, especially when there's pressure to, you know, be the best and keep winning and keep running and things like that. And so this whole year, I would say, has been a hard transition. But what's helped keep me grounded is the things I've put in place that are more positive, that are helping me turn those, you know, motivators to be positive and give me energy from that. So again, whether that's my community, my gym community, my relationships, everything like that, that plays a huge difference into my mental health and my mental strength. Yeah, I love what you said about, you know, just the theme of, of, where your source of motivation was coming from, because I, I'm a, I'm, I believe that 
leaning into some of that early motivation to prove someone wrong or, you know, I mean, like, I think that's a great thing. And, and I think anyone that needs a kick in the ass use that, right? Cause that, that's what fueled a lot of me as like a, as a young high school athlete, I, I had a chip on my shoulder because there were people telling me I couldn't do this and this. And you know what I mean? I said, watch me, I'm gonna go live in the weight room and I'm gonna eat like a horse and in three years, it's going to be a different story. And that's mm -hmm. what happened. So like, I think that, you know, that's a, that can be a good thing, but yes, you don't want to be that person with a chip on your shoulder your whole life. Cause then eventually, you know, and it's like, what's it for, but, but internalize it and use it. But at some point, you know, it, it needs to become a bit more nuanced and, and, uh, maybe, you know, from, from a different, um, kind of spirit. And that, that's pretty, it's cool that you came to that realization. I'm, I'm guessing maybe it sounds like in the early days, uh, your, your source of motivation was, was, was that of, I'm going to prove a certain individual or people wrong. Is that fair? Yep. Absolutely. Do you yeah, want to, do you want to elaborate on that or no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a past relationship where, um, that, that race in Telluride, I was telling you about climbing that mountain, kind of breaking down halfway up. Um, I, I had just broken up with a boyfriend, um, and I was angry. And so all that motivation came from watch this, yeah. right? I'm going to be wrong. I, I can do this without you, without your support, you know, whatever that was. Um, but yeah, that's definitely where it came from. Nice. Nice. Uh, Maybe we'll get Taylor. Yeah, mo yeah, motivators are, are pretty interesting. So I used to be actually before all of this, um, at a college, I was an elementary school teacher. And so when we work with kids on, like what motivates them to do well in school, like all of, all of what we're saying plays, plays into that. So, you know, you can have the motivation to, you know, prove, like make your parents proud or for, you know, certain external uh, accomplishments. But what we really try to train in, into kids and, and let them know is that, you know, you're going to go a lot further in life if you're doing this for you, like you're doing, you're working hard, you're studying for this test, you're doing all these things to make yourself proud. Um, and I think that people look past that a lot. They're trying to get external validation um, instead of looking inward. And that's going to take you a lot further in life. Yeah. Go ahead. And what, when, so you were an elementary school teacher. When did you then, was it a slow transition into what you're doing now? Or was it kind of a clean cut where you won one of these races and then recognize like, oh, this is what I want to want to be doing? Yeah. So I've had, I've had quite the career journey. So, um, I was a teacher, um, and then I realized what makes me happy every day, all day is fitness. So I became a CrossFit coach. I worked at a pretty big CrossFit box here in, in uh, Colorado. And from there, I was like coaching, and then I was also training um, for like CrossFit comps, and then slowly into more so ultra and endurance races. Um, and I, it was kind of like a clean cut um, where I was working for Google as a full-time personal trainer and coach. Um, and I just decided that in order to take this more full time, I needed to cut one of my jobs. And so at the point that time I was like essentially doing four, I was working for brands, I was training, um, I was a online coach and I was working for Google. So, um, I had to cut one of them in order to make time to take this really, you know, to the next level. And so I cut that out. And since then it's been just training full time. Do you have any gnarly race stories? Like anything come to mind oh, of when I you mean, were, you were just like, holy crap, what am I doing? Like, how did I get here? Yeah, actually. So, um, and this is on my, my, uh, social media page and, um, it's, it's pretty gross, but I was doing two back-to-back 50 K's last fall, um, up in Buena Vista in Colorado. So at elevation 
And I had just done the swim run world championship. So my feet and toes were already pretty, you know, gnarly looking. And that was the Sweden one, six and a half mile yeah, plus 40 one. mile run. Yeah. Okay. So my feet probably were not in the most healthy space. And so the first, first 50 K went really well. I got second on course. And then the next day was a lot of climbing. So it was like 8,000 climbing and then just straight down for like four to five. And about, I would say 10 miles into that race, I felt like my toenails detach. Um, oh, and yeah. so been I'm running, not and a I good still have, you know, I still have quite a few more miles to, to put in and, I'm like eventually just walking the whole thing because like my toes hurt so incredibly bad and I get to the finish line and the medics come over and, and things like that. And they're like, we should take these off or they're going to get infected. You know, they don't look great. And so basically right at the finish line, they gave me a couple shots of whiskey. <laughs> they put in um, a way too big of a needle for Novocaine in the back of my toe. And then they just tore them straight off. Oh, so you so lost. I have, I have the video of that um, on my Instagram. So uh, did you lose every toenail? Pretty much. I lost my two big toenails, okay. which were the most painful. Um, and then quite of the other ones, uh, most of the other ones fell off. So you take a while to come back. Too. Yeah, yeah, they do. It's a while. So you, you were, you, needless to say, you were pumped to put on some high heels to go to the, to get dressed up, right? How would that Basically, gone over? Yeah. I actually like, I'd prefer not to have big toenails, especially with running so many miles each week. Um, it, it, it's just way better. You don't have to deal with it. And so back up real quick to the Sweden swim, I'm guessing the, what was the water temp swimming in that? Um, we got pretty lucky. I don't know the exact temperature, but it wasn't as cold as previous years. Okay. Um, let me take that squeaker from him. Oh, you're good. Oh, that's what that, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I didn't know what it was either. <laughs> For the viewers, we have yeah. a, we have a golden retriever chewing on a squeaky toy we have to address i thought it was on our producers <laughs> <end>. <laughs> he, he literally won't squeak anything unless i'm on a call like he almost knows and then he does it is that um, an ear of corn squeaky toy no it's not it's a it's a squirrel oh okay uh, I, thought, I, I was gonna say that that's the most iowa thing yeah. i've ever seen but uh yeah katie's from i or katie's from iowa so yeah <laughs> all right never mind <laughs> and and katie are you so it, it are you the type of athlete where everything in your day now, especially as you progress to higher and higher levels, are you very, very dialed on diet, on sleep, on recovery? Or we had Ariel Lowen on the podcast. She's a she's a mother, like still finished third in the games this year. And not she's not laxed by any means, but comparing her to other high-level CrossFit athletes, you scratch your head because she's not doing near the amount of just – she just doesn't have the time that they have to put into – their recovery and things, where do you kind of fall on that spectrum? Um, I would probably say in the middle. Um, I think the important thing is consistency and hitting my miles and my training each day. And then other than that, I'm pretty like relaxed a little bit. I think when you are so strict and you know, you have, you know, you, it, it's hard to forgive yourself when you don't like meet those macros and you don't hit the, you know, training numbers and things like that. Um, like usually before every like big, big race, like I'll go out the weekend before and just have a ton of fun with my friends. Um, because I think it's important to kind of like let go sometimes. Um, but otherwise from the like day-to-day -day perspective, it's, it's pretty strict, but you know, nothing that's gonna like make me unhappy. Like I would rather be able to, you know, keep this what I love doing instead of like a chore if that makes sense 
And if there, oh, go ahead. Uh, is, have there been any specific recovery tactics that you've employed? Like, do you do deep tissue massages weekly? And I guess walk us through that cold tub sauna, anything like that. We've kind of dorked out on that a little bit. And I've recently got into like the sauna cold tub thing. And I think it really helps. Um, but curious uh, from your community, um, you know, what you all mm -hmm. do that, that tends to work um, because so much yeah. of it obviously is recovery, right? Um, breaking down the muscle and doing all that crazy stuff you all do. Like you have to recover in between and get stronger. So what are some things right. you've done uh, on the recovery side? Yeah, um, I, I love an ice bath and sauna session. Uh, I think that does wonders for recovery and for your body and for your mind too. Um, so that's that one is really important to me. I'll get an ice bath every day. Um, mobility oh. and stretching, that just makes me feel better and also helps my muscles. Um, so those two are pretty essential for me every every day um and then just recovering by eating a lot of food is also very helpful it's all right so you're cold tubbing every day do you do it in the morning yep okay so like first thing usually, you do usually when i wake up yep when i wake up the first thing i do is i'll jump in for three to five minutes um and maybe do that once or twice if i have time and then sometimes at night um but i like to do like a sauna session more so at night to you know help you sleep better Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a savage move. I'm still coming around to that. I, I got one at the house now and I have that sauna yeah. too. And I'm more doing them at night, but man, I want to make that the morning routine, like five 30 and you have like alarm goes off five 30 and you have five minutes to get in the tub and there's no negotiation. I'm, I'm getting around to that, but yeah. it's like, man, that's a, that's a great way to set the tone. And obviously you know, the yep. physical and mental benefits too. Um, well, kind of like it wakes you up as well. So I find it hard to take ice baths at night because it kind of, you know, it wakes you up. Um, but yeah, when you do, when you do it in the morning right away, you kind of get it over with as well. Okay. And what about like deep tissue stuff? Um, yeah. So I see a, a PT and do like massage body work, um, probably like every other week or so. Um, yeah. Any, anything for sleep hygiene? Um, I don't think so. I think I sleep pretty well. I, I sleep usually like eight to nine hours a night. Katie, something I'd love to dig into a little more just because you're you're an individual that pushes this to the extreme is kind of the the human body's ability to adapt and kind of it, it's interesting because like the word overtraining gets thrown out a lot. And of course, I think given wherever you're at on the training spectrum, burying yourself into the ground certainly is not the answer. But you and I, I know you do a lot of coaching. It's like, how do you go about kind of scaling people and, and, and getting them to see potentially that, guys, you have so much more potential and so much more capacity than you could ever imagine? That doesn't mean you're going to do it tomorrow, but like let's, let's develop a program and some systems to maybe get you there in the next two or three years. And of course, for each individual, that looks different. But how do you kind of approach that as somebody who's expanded your bandwidth so far when you're maybe working with somebody that even getting in the gym two to three times a week is challenging? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when I was, you know, doing, being a full-time trainer and coach at places like Google or Oracle, like corporate health and wellness, um, you have a lot of that. So you have people who have never even walked into a gym, people who have never done a squat before. And those are my favorite people to work with and train. Uh, there's not a lot of ego. Um, I've worked at CrossFit, you know, helping people set PRs and things like that. But it's, it's, it's my passion to help people get into fitness and start their journey. Um, and a lot of like showing them their potential is, you know, building that confidence that they can do it. So I think that's always step number one. 
is is building the internal confidence and the the mindset that you can do this and you then you can do greater things and you can keep just progressing um higher and higher but it definitely starts with like being confident in themselves um that they can achieve more than they think yeah and it it feels like to me even just at the gym this morning sometimes i shake my head and, and I, i'm not judging them but some trainers it, it makes you scratch your head when you see individuals like yourself that are at a very high level of fitness, you know how to scale things in a way that's reasonable and create a program so that that individual that maybe has never been in into a gym, you're not going to have them back squatting on week one. It's like, hey, let's at least get you moving a little bit, get you to recognize what it's like to have your heart rate elevated. But Bear and I go to the same gym in the morning and, it, and it's a it's a nice gym, but it is like a it's not like a private little gym. There's a ton of people there. And I will see all the time it just individuals that can't even move and the trainer has them doing like I said back squats or deadlifts in their form it's like you're you're kind of you're I'm happy that they're in there but they're going to be so discouraged when they feel how their body feels after that one session as opposed to like hey maybe do some sled work for the first just month just getting them to learn how to use their lower half is is that something you recognize at times within the fitness space as well oh for sure I've I've seen you know <laughs> all of spectrum. that plus more yeah um yeah, you kind of you definitely have to meet people where they're at and then go from there and then point them to the next thing that the, they need to do. Um, but yeah, you have to start at a very elementary level um, and to get them excited about fitness, to want them to come back. Um, otherwise, yeah, they're going to be super discouraged. They're not going to, you know, want to try. So, yeah, that's definitely the first step. Well, and think about this, that poor lady that just did back squats for the first time in okay. 20 years. I've almost She's not going to be a walk down the steps for four days. I mean, anyone, I don't care who you are. If you haven't squatted in 10 years, it's bad. You put the, I mean, put 135 on for us and you five sets of 10, you're not walking for no, three days. No. So that poor lady now thinks this is normal, right? No. Oh, this is just all these maniacs. They just walk around this store all the time. And you're like, you're, it's never going to be like that <laughs> yeah. ever. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. it, it does, you know, I, I totally agree with you. And um, you, you just, you don't want to set up an environment that people want to get into the gym and get after it. It's not this big, scary thing. Um, but mm -hmm. that surely probably does not help the cause when day one we're hitting, <laughs> we're hitting back squats five by it's 10. It's so normal. Too. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Damn. Um, so you got in recently got into tactile games. Talk to us about yeah. that. Yeah, so it's always been something I wanted to try. Um, and then I finally just like jumped in and did it. So I was back home in Iowa last summer for a couple weeks. Um, and there was uh, tactical games happening probably like an hour from where my family lives. Um, and at that point, I didn't have any of my own gear, any of my like it's it's handgun and rifle. And so I didn't have either of those. Um, but both my brothers are in the military. And so I borrowed all their gear. So we just drove out there. Um, not a lot of experience with, um, shooting targets. Um, and so that was different, especially with the elevated heart rate. Um, uh, but I had so much fun. And so then I was pretty hooked. And then I did the team event, um, I think a month or two later. So the fitness aspect of that event, um, went really well, like my scores were like the top one, two, and then you get your, like, your shooting cards back and I'd be like, Oh, and drop to the bottom. And so like, I realized I had a lot of work to put in. So my dad has a farm out there. So my brother and I just practiced every day doing like our own drills, running and then shooting and, you know, body weight movements, stuff like that. But it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a cool event. They run it super well, super safe. I was impressed. 
And is that something you're going to add to your arsenal? Like, are you going to lean harder into that, or will it be kind of more of a do it for fun? Um, I have quite a few on my race schedule for 2024. Um, I'm going to need to put in a lot of work and time. Um, you do get red dots on your handgun now, which is different. So it was iron sights. Okay. So that made it tricky. Um, but now I'm definitely going to lean more, a little harder into it just because I had so much fun and it went, it went pretty well. So, um, it's a challenge that I definitely want to take on this next year. And did you, I, I know you said you had brothers growing up and they were in, they're in the military now. So I'm sure, mm-hmm. did you, did you grow up shooting guns at all? Was hunting a part of like, were you at all comfortable with a handgun or a rifle or was that something just completely brand new? Yeah. Growing up in Iowa, that's kind of like the norm. I mean, all my family like hunted, hunted white-tailed deer in Iowa. Um, so I was comfortable, but when you put that with fitness and running around and, and, you know, lifting heavy things, it's nothing that I've ever done before. Um, so that was new, but I was definitely comfortable with the whole premise of it. And I'm assuming, I don't, I don't know a ton about the tactical games. I'm assuming it's probably better to approach it the way with your skill set, where you're extremely fit and learning to shoot rather than really good at shooting and trying to, to get the fitness part. Would that be, would that be a correct assumption? Well, like, um, physically it's probably easier. So like I wasn't dying. Right. But some of like the, like people who win the tactical games all the time, um, not all of them, but a lot of them, um, they are just sharpshooters. They're so good at shooting. And so, um, like their fitness might not be, you know, near the level of some of the other competitors, but they can shoot. So that really helps them, but getting started into it, I would say like having a pretty good, like endurance fitness background, um, helps you survive the events. And and with, with everything you've kind of with, with even now the tactical games and then the go rock and the Spartan races, something we've talked mm-hmm. a lot. We, we had a episode winning in the gym. We just kind of talked through our background as athletes, him in the military of just like what training modalities and programs that like we feel like can give you the most bang for your buck in different phases of life, whatever you're trying to achieve with you having uh, been exposed to so many different modalities is there one, and, and I know right now it seems like running is really a focus. I know you said you were in CrossFit that kind of, you would say, has the best trickle down to just being overall as fit as possible. And I know this is a loaded question. There's not one right answer. But what modalities that you've exposed yourself to would you say kind of have, have the most bang for your buck as far as being an overall like aerobic athlete strength and anaerobic? Yeah, I mean, I would say running like running and my capacity and volume in that area. And also like biking really helps me in things like the gym, where if I'm only lifting weights and then I go try to run, that doesn't help me as much. So in all the events and competitions I do, if my aerobic capacity is very high, I will do pretty well. Um, But I would say running has helped a ton and then strength training too. So there's a lot of runners out there and even in, you know, Spartan races and obstacle course racing that don't have the strength and the the muscle endurance, and that's kind of their hindrance. And so having my start more so be in weightlifting and strength training like CrossFit, that has kind of helped, um, helped a ton where just running alone probably wouldn't have. Yeah, I think that's critical. I was gonna, mm-hmm. I was gonna politely uh, push back until you said that because you know a yeah. lot of people all they do is run. And again, if it's it's better than nothing. Like if you're gonna do it, you know, mm-hmm. of course. But as far as like a well-rounded, um, 
you know, individual, even with appearance, I hate to say it. Like if you only run, yeah. you're going to have a very specific physique that will look a lot different than someone that runs and then goes hit and hits weights a few days a week. Like that'll be a mm -hmm. completely different look guy or girl doesn't matter. Um, but the fact that you've of course blended both, um, now it gets tricky with the ultras cause obviously muscle is heavy, right. And it, and it uses up a lot of oxygen. So I'm sure you've had to find that balance. Um, you know, especially like with the guys and these guys are running, they're like 130 pounds and I'm 240. So like, I'm never going to keep up with those guys in a foot race. Right. <laughs> so, right. but at some point, if we got to move a boulder at that, you know, tough mud or whatever, you know, they might be sitting there for two, two hours. And then finally the, what the tortoise is going to come up out of the rear. I guess it depends on the event, but it sounds like you've, you've been able to find that balance of. Um, not doing too much strength, you know, work where you've, you know, kind of bulked up and then it's using a bunch of oxygen and it's heavy. Um, but you've been able to have enough strength to, um, kind of have a competitive advantage against those people that are just, all they do is just run hundreds of miles and they never, uh, put it, put in the weights. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm still way bigger than most ultra marathoners or runners. I show up to, you know, start lines and I've been told a thousand times, like you don't run ultras or like you run ultras, like it's always a question because nice. of how I look that I have muscle, but yeah, I'll take muscle any day. It is a little more tricky when it comes to like 24 hour races, because I'm going to need to fuel a lot more, um, because runners who don't have muscle, they don't need to feed anything. And so they're not feeding their muscles to keep going so they can get away with, you know, eating applesauce and baby food where like, I really have to eat like uncrustables and pizza and things like that to keep me going and keep me fueled. But yeah, I have, I make sure all my clients, no matter if they're just, you know, training for a 5k or running that they, they do strength training and they lift weights. Cause it's very important. What the, it's funny. I was going to ask, what does a new, what does nutrition look like on one of those ultras? Like when you say you eat pizza, is that something you have in your bag or are there stop points where somebody will hand you a piece of pizza that you can eat while you're running? And like, how, how does that vary depending on the race? But as I, yeah, as I've always thought through those races, I'm like, damn, what, I mean, you, you, you've got to be eating a decent <laughs> amount of food to maintain that for 24 hours. Yeah. So for the obstacle course races, the 24 hour ones, it's, uh, kind of like NASCAR where you have a pit crew. So you'll run your lap, whatever mileage that is, and then you'll stop it and they'll feed you, have everything ready to go and send you out again. Um, for like trail ultra marathons, there's pit stations. So like you make it to, you know, mile 10, there's one mile 20 or whatever. Um, and then they'll have, you know, all the, the goodies all lined up. Uh, but yeah, fueling is probably the most important. So you can be in really, really good shape and, you know, be set to win it all. But if you don't fuel and you, you, you bonk or you break, um, it's really hard to come back from. So I do a really good job hydrating. Um, I, that's also very important for ultra marathons, um, fueling. I get to like hour 12 and it's like, I don't want anything to eat. Um, and then, you know, by hour 18, it's like, yeah, pizza and, and everything and anything. So um, it's really important on those races, like to, you know, stay fueled the whole time. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's, it's really hard to keep going. And have you had any, any kind of big or, or nagging injuries that you continue to struggle with throughout your career? Cause that's what blows my mind too, is that in a 24 hour race, you don't have, I know my, I'd have a calf tweak or something like that. Like, or do you have anything that's kind of reoccurring for you and that you, you kind of put a focus on to make sure you're spending time rehabbing and recovering? Um, I am very blessed that I don't have really any injuries. I mean, you always have kind of like something nagging in a, in a 24 hour race. And it's usually like my feet, um, just being tired, but that's, that's really it. So 
yeah, I'm really blessed that throughout my whole career so far, I have had no like injuries or anything that prohibits me from racing and training. That's so crazy. Yeah. As is. a guy who yeah. literally tweaked every playing college <laughs> baseball, tweaked every muscle in my body. I am extremely jealous. My blessing say. was I was never fast enough to tweak any muscles, Tony. <laughs> You're not yeah. going to find me pulling yeah, a hamstring, yeah. man. I don't run yeah. fast enough for that. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's uh, one way to do it. Yeah, that's, that's right. Idea. That's right. And and I didn't know about the uh, pizza and unc uncrustables on these 100 milers. So maybe... Maybe I just now, became a customer. Yeah, if you're, now I'm if you're telling me at mile 80, I get a pizza and, a, yeah. and five Uncrustables, I might be in on that. <laughs> you have a, you have a main line of, of Miller Lite in your thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Has anyone ever run with a beer helmet? Probably not. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's carbs. I wouldn't be the worst. Yeah. I usually yeah. go with like, like Snickers and pickles and things like that too. Like you can basically anything that sits well in your stomach and you can run with, like it's fair game. Yeah. I mean, at that point, calories are calories, right? It's your body's going to yep. process it so fast. Um, so what, what's ahead for you? What is, what do the next five years look like? You got some goals you want to run down? Yeah. I mean, um, I want to continue racing for the next, you know, I don't know how many years until I no longer have fun or enjoy doing it probably. Um, and keep on like taking on the highest and hardest endurance challenges in the world. Um, that's a goal. There's a couple triathlons I have my eyes set on, um, a couple more ultra marathons, some of the big ones. So yeah, I have, I have a lot of big race goals. Um, and then I want to continue to build my training business and help people find their, their love and passion for fitness and moving. And do you want to, do you want to elaborate on your training business for the, for the viewers free, uh, oh, yeah, sure. free plug cool. opportunity here? <laughs> I should, I should yeah. promote it. There so, you yeah. go. My company is called Nighttime Training, um, and I train athletes who want to compete in the OCR space like I do, who want to do just trail races. And then I have a lot of clients who just want to get back into the gym or start their fitness journey for the first time. So it's like, it's a wide range, um, and it makes it a lot of fun. So I have a couple programs you can sign up for. They're not customized, but you get access to them um, six days a week. And then I have a lot of one-on-ones as well. Oh, nice. And is that available through an app too, or a website? Uh, you can access it through nighttimetraining.com. And then the programs are through Wattify. And then I have my own program for one-on-ones. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Are there any races that like, what's the pinnacle race for you that you want to conquer and, and win? If there, if, there, if you had oh, to put yeah. one on the list. Oh, that's hard there. Cause there's just so many of them. Um, I mean, some of like the hardest ultra marathons out there, like UTMB, things like that. Like, um, I would love to podium at, at one of those for sure. Are, th are there any that you're afraid of that keep you up at night that, you know, you're eventually going to have to do, but you're like, damn, that's going to be brutal. Um, I don't know if any of them keep me up at night. Um, some of them might make me a little bit nervous or scared, but I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah. It's kind of a good motivator. Um, those would be the the big ultras out there, like the Golden Ticket Series and the UTMB and all of those. The one I have coming up um, is a little little um, nerve wracking. It's an eight hour tough mutter, and it's in Saudi Arabia, and the payout's very very big. It's one of the biggest in OCR history, and so. That one's that I've been putting in a lot of training and a lot of work for that. Um, 60 plus mile weeks, a lot of time in the gym. So we're gunning for that one pretty hard. Nice. Nice. Yeah. What does the, yeah. what does the normal 
like payout like let's use utmb um that sounds like that's kind of like a tier one what would like what does the normal payout look like as you kind of go from a bigger one like that to then maybe a medium size to a smaller size um it kind of just depends on the the industry or the brand that's having the race so like spartans um and you know world's toughest mutter used to be 10k for first place and then five and then three for second and third um, but they all just kind of depend. It can be, you know, some of the like Hyrox events. I don't know if you guys heard of that, um, that race, but those, those don't really pay out. And then the world championships will, um, to I think 15 or 20,000. Um, so like kind of small and then there's, you know, there's tons of races that pay nothing. So, um, except for, you know, some pride and some ego and what's, some bragging what's, the, rights. what's that but Saudi Arabia one that you just mentioned? How much does that pay out? First place is 80 K. So nice. Nice. Yeah, that would be ideal. So we're 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 gunning for that. <laughs> Do you know uh, Joe DeSena by chance? Yeah. Okay, we had him on. Um, you know, the founder of Spartan Race. Um, he he was huh? on a yeah, podcast. Yeah, I, I thought you guys had him on. Yeah, yeah, he was he was awesome and just you know just so, same wild stories of. I mean, I don't I don't remember the the the, the, the exact one. stats, but he did oh. how many uh, Ironmans in like two weeks or something or seven or yeah, something, something yeah. crazy and then he did yeah, i mean and then he ran he ran the iditarod <laughs> yeah like the, the the 500 mile leg of that and just you know obviously um y'all are kind of wired similar in in wanting to pursue those crazy crazy um events but screw loose yes yeah there has to be there has to be but a little bit but in a really cool way and i think ultimately you know what it comes down to is you get addicted to that challenge right because you, you get in that mm -hmm. that middle of that race probably and you're you know, you're going through those mental uh, demons a little bit, um, probably to at least to some extent. And then when you finish, you have that triumphant feeling. And, and that's what gets you coming back as you want that feeling that that, uh, you know, you get many versions of that, I think, when you leave the gym. Um, right. But yeah. but, you know, to a way bigger extreme, you experience that high uh, on, a, on a major race because the low was a lot lower, I think. Right. Um, oh, yeah. and, and that's a barrier to entry. Right. You know, not a lot of people are willing to put themselves through that. Um, but only a few select, you know, group of people know what it, what it's like on the other side of it once you're done. So, um, mad props to you for what you're doing. It's been, it's super cool to see kind of how you in a way stumbled upon it on a whim. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's, it's, I, I think it's a testament though, to your mentality because, um, and hopefully maybe this is a takeaway for the viewers and, and us as, as well, but like, had you not been like, yeah, that 50 mile Canyon run. Like, that sounds cool. Let's do this. Had you been someone that wasn't willing to kind of take a chance and put yourself out there, you know, the trajectory of your life from that point probably would be totally different. Not to say it would have been bad. Um, but I think a lot of us are, you know, are afraid of failure or embarrassment or any of these other things. Um, but you were just kind of like, screw it. Let's go for it. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, of course, you know, in a way that mentality could get you into trouble. But I, I would say that's a fairly risk free effort because worst case you stop and you know what I mean? It's not the end of the world, but I think a lot of people are deterred from challenge, uh, and rather prefer the status quo, uh, before, you know, mm -hmm. it, 20 years have gone by, um, and you don't have much to say for it. So I think for me, that's the coolest part of this whole episode was that little nugget you snuck in there on, on how it all started. Uh, and that's a testament to your mentality. And I think that's why you've been so successful. So thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, that fires me up. Yeah. I think it's a yeah, testament the, to, go I ahead. Think I'm sorry. I think a lot of people don't want to experience that like rock bottom or that struggle or that failure. And so it's, it stops them from, from even wanting to try. Uh, my sister just gave me this real, really good quote. I don't, I don't know who it's by, but 
it, it goes, you'll learn more lessons at rock bottom or in the valley than you will at the mountaintop. Um, so it's like that struggle and that I think people can get addicted to as well of like wanting to try and, and building and training. Cause that's, that's the real struggle. And that's where we learn a lot about ourselves. And so training for these races, um, you, you know, you might win, you might be at the mountaintop, but the lessons learned were definitely on the way up. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I can tell just from a couple of things you said too, that you have an ability to recognize what actually excites you and what you brings you a level of enjoyment and then not being afraid to pursue that, even if on paper, it may seem silly. And, and I don't know specifically about your case, but when you're a teacher and even as a CrossFit coach and stuff with Google, I'm sure there had to be some part of you that was like, wait, endurance race, like maybe you did the first one good. It kind of set your soul on fire and you're like, wait a second, I like that. So many of us, it's very easy to be like, oh, that's an endurance race. There's no payouts for most of them. Like that'd be dumb mm -hmm. to do that as opposed to like, no, that inspired me. I felt a weird connection with it. I'm gonna keep pulling at that thread. That takes courage. And I, I've heard you say a couple of times, well, when Bear asked, like, what are you going to be doing in five years? It's like, well, when I'm done enjoying it, I'll move to something else. And I think that's a huge lesson, too, is to kind of recognize those pivots within your life, because I do think you, your your internal compass gives you a sense of when you should double down on something or when it's time to, hey, move towards this that you've been thinking about for the last three years. Oh, yeah, for sure. Always listen to the gut. I don't think my gut's ever been wrong. And sometimes I don't listen to it and it steers me in a, and I go a bad direction. But, you know, when I listen to it, I listen to what I love to do. Um, I think things kind of just flow. And, you know, I've been really enjoying this whole process and racing in this industry. Um, and it's opened other doors and allowed me to do things I probably never would have otherwise. Um, so, yeah, it's been a fun journey. Cool. Tone, anything else? No. <laughs> Well, Katie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing a, a bit of your story. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be rooting for you. We wish you the best of luck. I know you got a lot of challenging endeavors ahead of you. So, uh, but you got, you got your head screwed on, right? I know you're, you're ready for those moments and, and you're going to absolutely crush it. So, and when's the Saudi Arabia race? End of February. Okay. My All birthday right. week, actually. Okay. So. so that's coming up. Yeah. Well, cool. We'll have to keep an eye on that. And, and for the uh, for the listeners, uh, make sure you check out nighttimetraining.com. That's K-N-I-G-H-T. Uh, and follow uh, Katie on Instagram. She puts out a lot of really good content. Um, and uh, But, yeah, we'll, we'll be rooting for you. Hope we come back with a W in Saudi Arabia. And thank you so much, Katie. Cool. Thank you guys so much. It's been fun.